Welcome to our new Investing Explained podcast series, where we'll break down the complexities of the financial world and help you learn about how you can build yourself a better future through sensible investing. Our first podcast is starting with the basics, why you should invest. It may sound obvious, but it has some powerful answers. I'm Mary McDougall, and I'm delighted to be joined by Jeremy Naylor from IG and financial wellbeing expert Jason Butler, who each have over 25 years of experience covering markets and are here to help us by sharing their wisdom. Jason, we'll start with you. How do you think people should think about investing and how it fits in the wider context of their finances? Well, when you think about investing, look at it this way. It's a way of you reducing the cost of funding uh, your life goals that have a financial implication. So in plain English, what that means is that if I need money, most of us, the biggest goal we have is making sure we have enough money for when we can't or no longer wish to work. Um, and, and if you think about investing, investing is you capturing the returns that are out there for the taking through capitalism. That's the positive returns that companies make on providing goods and services. And the higher the return we get, then the lower the amount that we need to save. So think of it as uh, reducing the cost of funding your future financial obligations, the biggest of which is going to be paying for life after work. That's a great way of putting it. So how do you go about working out how much money you will need, Jason? Well, well, it's really simple. If, you, if, you, if, if we're talking about, for instance, uh, a longer term goal like uh, making work optional, as I call it, as opposed to retirement or pensions, then if you want £20,000 um, of income, a simple rule of thumb, and it is just a rule of thumb, it's not to be substituted for doing proper calculations or taking proper professional advice, but a simple rule of thumb is to times that amount by 30. If you times that amount by 30, it roughly gives you an idea. If you need £20,000, then you're going to need about £600,000 of savings. It sounds a lot, but if you're in your 20s or early 30s, you've got many, many years to build that money up. And the earliest pennies and pounds make the most return. So if, you, if, you need, uh, if you're going to rely on your state pension of about 9000 and you need another 11000 then it, timesing it by that is going to be, what, 333000 Is that right? My math is right. So that's the rule of thumb. And then basically you work backwards in today's money and say, okay, so how much do I need to save? So if you take 330,000 and divide it by, say, 10 years, that means you've got to save roughly 33,000 a year. If it's uh, 40 years, then you're going to have to save, what, uh, it's going to be 15,000 and, and so on and so forth. So in other words, the target amount divided by more years means you have to save less. And if you keep this in real terms and exclude inflation, then you always know what you need to save in simple terms. So hopefully that clarifies it for people. It's essentially once you've got your target fund, uh, divide that by the number of years and exclude inflation. That's a rough idea of how much you're going to save. But for most people, the rule of thumb is try and get to a stage when you are saving at least 15% into investments, whether that's via a pension or ISA or other type of account, for the longer term, which is investing in real assets uh, which will include a big exposure to companies through shares. And that essentially will give you a rough idea. If you save somewhere between uh, 8 to 15% of your household income, perhaps start at 8 and gradually build up to 15 as you get older and you uh, get more income, then you are, you are going in the right direction. Yeah, that's a really good point. And um, starting early, as you said, we'll, we'll get back to the power of compounding later. But um, Jeremy, to bring you in, lots of people are put off investing, either from tales of crashes or warning of a bubble that's about to pop. 
Uh, how do you know when it's the right time to get started? Or in the long run, does it really matter when you start? Well, I think that's that's the answer. It's the fact in the long run, the early, the younger you are and the longer you've got in the market over the number of years, the, the, the less it, it, it matters. But I think as Jason was saying, you've got to get in as early as possible. There is no right time. Just because you think there might be a market event that might destroy value of your investments around the corner, you shouldn't put off doing what you should do as early as you possibly can in order to maximise your time in the market. You can't second-guess the market. There are those out there that say, oh, yes, they do stock picking and so forth. They might get it right some of the time, but they don't get it right all of the time. And if you're in the market for the long term which you are as an investor saving for your retirement, making sure you've got enough money for when you want to give up work. You've got to be in early, you've got to be in long, and you've got to um, keep on going. Um, you, as I say, you can't second-guess the market. The longer one is in the market, the less it makes uh, a, a, a matter of when you start. Um, so I would say, in answer to the question, today. You've got to start investing immediately. And Mary, I would just add something to that brilliant point that Jeremy made there. As you say, there's just like starting a family, it's never the right time, as my wife told me many years ago. <laughs> but the point here is that for most of us, we are saving regularly. So what's happening this month, next year, or even in five years' time is irrelevant because pounds cost averaging is this phenomenon that the average cost of what you're investing in will always be less than the average price of that investment. So in other words, the oscillations of ups and downs of markets will work to your advantage. And the second thing, it's not a case of if, it's a case of when we have a stock market crash. Okay, you have to embrace it. it. Risk is the source of return. If the, if the returns were predictable, they would not be higher. Okay, now in the short term, if you are investing for five to ten years, a big stock market crash or a malaise of the market not doing anything um, cannot can be hurtful because inflation will hurt you and all the capital going down will hurt you. But in the long run, if we believe in capitalism for all its faults and we believe inflation is, this, is the, the main risk that we run, then investment in company shares is one of the main hedges against inflation, but also to get returns above inflation, which is what lowers the cost of your longer term investments. And the thing to think of is in, risk is the source of the returns that you're looking for. Um, and as I say, it's all about having faith in the future, as opposed to not measuring the uh, place from your home to your place of work with a six-inch ruler, but taking a longer term and a bigger picture view. Of course, the thing is about this, if I could just quickly come in again, is this then you start looking at the behavioural side of things and deep in our psyche is this um, unwillingness to contribute to something that might be losing ground. So if the markets do drop, the inclination is not to continue to invest. You should continue to invest. This drip feeding in the market is absolutely critical. And that's what, over time, irons everything out. Yeah, that's a very good point. I think another thing that puts people off is a fear of being ripped off, of institutions charging too much, perhaps fund managers charging too much, or or maybe feeling like you might be being directed to poor products. Um, Jeremy, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I'm, I'm, re I'm nearing retirement. So I've been through very many years of, of, um, of dealing with this, this question and making sure that I take the right advice from the right people at the right time. Um, Look, there are different categories of financial advisor. Um, um, I think we're going to touch on, 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 on social media in a short while. Let's, let's avoid that completely because I don't 
regard that. So you're looking for some sort of advice, someone that knows more than you do about uh, when to invest, how to invest, and uh, and what your returns are likely to be in the long term. You've got tide agents, you've got direct salesmen, you've got independent financial advisors, you've got commission agents. Um, none is necessarily bad, uh, but they're not all necessarily good. Uh, your circumstances could mean that you are maybe wanting to search out one particular sort of advice over another. There's the Institute of Financial Planning, which gives a list of certified uh, financial planners, which I think I would urge people to go to. You can just Google that under the Institute of Financial Planning. There's also the FSA Guide to Financial Advice, um, details on, on, on what to expect. And I think importantly, when you go to someone, you've got to know the sort of questions you need to ask. You've got to talk about, you've got to talk honestly to, to, to begin with. And you've got to lay out your, your situation and what your ambitions are, your age, of course, and your commitment to other people. Um, you've got to talk to friends and family about the advice they've been given. But I urge people, if they do look for advice, shop around. Make sure you make detailed notes and make sure uh, that you put yourself in the best possible position of not getting ripped off. If you add up everything that you're told from different sources of information, you will come to the right decision. That's very sensible. Jason, do you have anything to add on the the fees side of thing for funds or platforms and how to how to make sure you get a good deal there? Yeah, well, Jeremy makes the point that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, no one is going to care about your money more than you, okay? Or, or, or that certainly should be the case. And you cannot ab- ab- abdicate responsibility for your own situation. Now, I'd say three things. This is much more, the idea of getting scammed or overpaying or doing the wrong thing, they're all different things. You know, overpaying for a quality product, you know, investment experience or advice is one thing. Getting scammed and sending £10,000 because you think someone loves you in Nicaragua, that's a whole different issue, Okay. So we, what the first thing I think is more about your relationship with money is the first thing I would say, okay? Do not fear money, right? Money shouldn't have hold over you, and it's just a necessary a currency. It's something you need, like petrol in your car or electric in your car battery, okay? It's the same thing. It's just fuel. So you need to examine your relationship with money and demystify uh, it and take the fear out of it. The second thing is you need to spend as much time learning about money because there's plenty of information out there, regardless of social media and what we think of it. There's plenty of videos out there. There's plenty of knowledge. There's online courses, loads of stuff, okay? Spend as much time on that as you do on distraction on social media, streaming services, and YouTube. And the third thing is if you are going to um, get some help, realize there's a difference between information, guidance, which is what people like you might do, and proper personalized advice, which is, this is what I think you should do. Bear in mind what I know about you. And that advice service, uh, a planning-based service can be delivered virtually or it can be delivered in person. It can be fixed fee. It can be hourly rate. It can be built into product fees. So the point here is, is make sure that if you take advice that you've already done the preparation to be a good customer, a good client, and which means that you understand your relationship with money and that you've done enough to understand the basics. You know, what is capitalism? Why would I bother investing in shares? That's not the job of a professional advisor. And only use professional advice services, whether they're online services or whether they're face-to-face, when you feel that you actually are an informed purchaser. But here's the thing. Even if you invested in an expensive investment fund, and even if you didn't do all the things optimally, okay, it would be better for you to start investing once you know the basics than not investing. And on my website, jason-butler.com, there is the eight money milestones, which is the basic principles of how you should go about um, getting yourself in a position where you should know them when you are ready to invest. So some people are not in the right place to invest. And that 
Those people are people who have no control over the spending, who do not have an adequate emergency fund to meet unexpected life um, hiccups, and who have got expensive non-mortgage debt. Once they're out of the way, then investing becomes an absolute priority. Yeah. And Jeremy, you touched on social media earlier. Um, A lot of young people are now getting advice from social media. There are some great Finfluencers out there, stands for (laughs) Financial Influencer, um, which is good for getting people engaged, but there's also lots of rogue actors promoting get-rich-quick schemes. Do you think social media has a role in investor education and how can people navigate it? I I would urge people to do their homework first of all and then engage with social media if you wish to do it that way. Do not go to social media first of all because you will not get a true and accurate picture necessarily across the, the the view, if you like. Um, as I said to you earlier on, I'm, I'm, I'm advanced in my time and, and I came up through a period where there wasn't social media. So um, I would have gone to other sources. And I think nowadays you should go to more reliable sources. Jason talking about his website. It's absolutely critical. You go to well-known people's websites. If they're on Twitter, which inevitably they will be, they will also throw up Twitter feeds from other people that may not be quite so scrupulous. And I think it's important that you search out a good financial advisor or certainly some good financial advice to begin with rather than go to social media to take your your view of the world um, because there's a chance you may get caught up in something that ultimately may cost you an awful lot more uh, than the money you wanted to put into the market initially. Yeah, it ties in with Jason's point saying take some time to understand money. Mm-hmm. I think social media can be a little breathless. Yeah. Um, Jason, on your point about under, taking time to understand money. A lot of young people are very interested in cryptocurrencies at the moment. Um, lots of people have been investing in them instead of stocks. What are your thoughts on this? Well, you've got to remember that social media, all it does is amplify what has already always been in the play with human nature, okay, since the beginning of time. People want uh, to be the quickest route to riches, okay? that they are always interested in the immediate gratification. That's just human nature. That's not a character flaw, and no one should beat themselves up. But we have to understand that can most of the time make us poor or keep us from being rich, okay? So the way I look at it is this. Um, I'm a wealthy individual, um, and I don't invest all my money in crypto. I'm very happy. I'm very happy, other than four or five grand for um, you know uh, research purposes, I'm very happy to miss out on all the upside because I've already won the game. And what I'm saying is I always like to use what's always worked as opposed to what hasn't worked. Now, does that mean that things like crypto or other kinds of speculative investments, and they are speculative investments, it means there's a very small chance you can make a lot of money, but a very high chance you could lose some or all of your money. Now, crypto is one of those things where it it is what it is. It's what anyone believes it to be. The technology behind it probably is going to be game-changing in many ways that we can't foresee. But the actual idea that this has a value when it is not backed by taxation ability or armies, which is what governments have. And you're seeing this now in China, where China's now starting to basically pull the wool from under the crypto market. So what I would say to young people is, look, do you know what? If you like gambling and you like speculating, and I don't do either, but if you like doing that, by all means, do some regular amounts into a cryptocurrency of your choice. I'm not recommending it. I'm not endorsing it. I'm saying indulge yourself. But do a small amount, but don't do that at the expense of doing all what I call the boring, basic stuff. Because anywhere worth going, 
right, takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. And actually, I want investing and building wealth to be boring, like watching paint dry. That's the the angle you've got to have. So by all means, indulge it, but don't bet the farm on it. I think this is important as well to distinguish what's the difference between investing and trading. Yeah. I think if you if you go down the path of trading, uh, and and look, if you've got money, in in my, in my view, and I, I sort of along the lines of Jason here, if you've got money that you don't mind losing, yeah, fine. You've got to work out what your motivation is. So long as you've got your the rest of your house in order in terms of your outlook. If you have the odd spare, however many thousand you want to put in, yeah, put it on ether. Put it on. It's a bit like putting it on black in a in a in a in a, in a roulette wheel or whatever. There's a chance it could come good. Um, but we don't know where the future is on this. And if you bet on one particular um, cryptocurrency in the long term, that could be the one that might not be adopted, in which case it has zero value. And the other point to worth mentioning there, Mary, is that what crypto is doing, like any what I call, we can make a lot of money in a short period of time. We all know the people have made the money and tell us all the women. Well, they're all on, all on social what media, it, aren't they? <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah. But what it does is it masks the fact that most people do not know how to control their day-to-day spending. Most people do not have an adequate emergency fund of six months of their core living costs. Most people do not have enough insurances so that if they're sick long term, that someone will pay them. Most people haven't got their state pension credits right. Most people don't understand their tax code. Look, here's the thing. There's a lot you need to do before you mess about with uh, playing with fire. And I would suggest to people, I'm not saying that you cannot make money on these things. We're saying don't use it as a get out of jail card because you haven't saved enough or you're not earning enough or you think the world is stacked against you. Do you know what? Life is not easy, right? And it shouldn't be easy. And the same with money. You've got to pass what I call the foundational stages to earn the right to speculate. And if I want to speculate five grand of my money in cryptocurrency, it's not going to be any any problem. But for most young people investing £5,000 in cryptocurrency and then find it hard in six months and then they want to buy a house, they've got a problem. Yeah, that sounds sensible. So you're not ready to give it a permanent position it, in it's, every... Well, it's not regulated. That's the other thing. And I think yeah. until, until we see solid regulation from, from, from central banks and governments around the world, this is an area of the market which basically is the Wild West. Yeah, I think you'd be better off putting money on the Grand National, right? And at least you're supporting an industry. <laughs> and here's the other thing, just the one thing on that. I don't care what anyone says, crypto is certainly not an environmentally sustainable and sensible way of, of yeah. uh, storing of value. And if you really believe in values and you want to save the planet and the humankind and human rights, do not invest in crypto. And I've yet to see anyone that shows me that crypto is adding to the world's sustainability. And, and, and it may well be different when we have plentiful energy, but at the moment I cannot square that with uh, principles-based investing. Yeah. So the topic of our next podcast is what you might want to invest in. So I'm not not going to veer into that now, but I think it's important to cover on the topic of why you should invest, what returns you should expect. I know that's a it's a difficult question given the most popular financial disclosure is um, that past performance is not a reliable indicator of the future. But Jeremy, what what type of returns do you think might be reasonable? I think it's very difficult to tell. I mean, in, in this low interest rate environment, um, we could only expect relatively low interest rate returns. It's always nice to, to beat inflation. I mean, you've got to beat inflation, otherwise you are losing ground. That's the whole point. And that's one reason why you shouldn't take your cash pile and put it into um, a, a low-paying cash ISIP. ISIP may be good, it may be tax efficient, but to be frank with you, the returns are so poor, you are losing ground against against uh, the inflation rate. Um, so you're looking for something which is going to pay more 
more than that and something which is safe. It measures up to your uh, your standards and, and how you see the future and your risk appetite. Uh, and then when you get into that, uh, you can then start to benefit in the longer term. In the second year, you then start to build on the interest you built in the first year. And that's the way that investment over time, that plus this idea about drip feeding into the markets regularly, monthly, weekly, however long it is, just make sure you keep on putting the same amount of money in. That and this idea of building on building blocks that you've already established is the way to build a, a large fund. Jason was talking at the beginning about the sort of figures you should be looking at in terms of how you want to, what sort of cash pile or, or, or investment you want when you retire and try to calculate that sort of thing and then work it backwards. You only get to that by having a long exposure to these markets and you keep on getting interest on interest. Yes, compound interest um, has been touted, touted as the eighth wonder of the world, <laughs> times an investor's best friend. I don't think compound interest is um, particularly intuitive for everyone. C- can you give any... Can you give any examples yeah, a, of how you might be able well, to... Well, the very simple way, and if you, if you take a nice round figure of £100, if you, if you on day one, if you, if you were given £100 to invest and you found somewhere in the market, let's just say, that pays 10%, you're not going to get that in this market. I understand that completely, but this is just purely for mathematical purposes. If on day one you put your £100 into a, a vehicle which pays you 10%, 365 days later, that £100 is worth £110. Then in the second year, you, you, assuming the interest rate remains the same, you don't get just interest on the 100, you get a hu- interest on the 110. And so you're building on interest, that compounding effect. In the first few years, look, it doesn't actually look particularly impressive. But all of a sudden, later in life, and again, I go back to my age and I can tell you this actually happens, you look at what you've got and you think, crikey, it really works. And it absolutely does. And I think for the young people, I think, let's look at it in reverse. If you've got a student debt or a mortgage, probably a student debt's a better example, where a certain amount of interest rate is applied to that figure and it increases over time. Yes, you only have a cap on what you pay. But if in 10 years' time you look back at this and you think, crikey, I've paid all this money into my student debt and it's not gone down. The reason why is because that's that compounding interest. It also works in negative as it does in positive, but it's the positive you want to anchor yourself in and, and get the benefit from. Yes, it's really important. I'd encourage anyone listening to have a look at our website and the guides because we've got illustrations on on how compounding works. Jason, to something you touched on earlier, I think a, a compelling reason to invest is, is an opportunity to have a say in the business world. Um, what are your thoughts on shareholder democracy and can you explain what rights investors have? Well, it really depends how you invest. If you invest directly in a company's shares, and that's not normally what, what would we would recommend beginners and certainly intermediate people do because you can't normally, you haven't got enough money really normally to spread your money. That's called diversification, not having all your eggs in one basket. But if you do invest in individual companies, and you may want to do that to have a shareholder voice. You can normally vote at general meetings. You can normally, you know, the resolutions, you get information from the company and you can attend uh, and your voice can be heard that way. Or you, if you invest via a fund, whether that's an active fund or an index fund, a fund that follows a basket of shares without any kind of uh, favor or fear, um, then normally the fund manager will take the voting rights and be responsible. Now, some fund managers are more muscular and more uh, assertive than others. Um, but if you're investing in one of the big fund groups, you can often, uh, they normally have investor forums and stuff where you can actually, your voice can be heard. But another way of actually um, investing according to your values and not investing in companies that are 
um, perhaps engaging in environmental, social or, or governance uh, failures, is to invest in what we call ESG funds. And that's a, a subject for another day, but environmental, social governance funds, funds that are sustainable, some funds that are ethical. So there are ways that you can actually direct your investment in a way that's in tune with your values. But a couple of things I would say here is that unless you're in the game, unless you have investment in companies in the market, you haven't got a voice. Uh, and whether it's directing your money to the right funds or whether it's uh, investing directly in company shares and attending their shareholder meetings or the voting, then you haven't got a, play, a, a role to play. And I would just say this about investment returns. Investment returns moving forward are likely to be much lower than they have been in the past. And that's because of two reasons. One, we have markets are at an extremely high level at the moment. And secondly, we are into this period where the next change in interest rates and therefore the cost of money is likely to increase. What that means for long-term investors is the next 10 years may not be amazing returns, but nevertheless, getting the money into the market will enable you regularly to be able to pick up the returns as markets increase. So you should expect markets to fall in the next, uh, sometime in the next four to 10 years. And that is to be expected, but you're saving regularly. But the reality is in the long run, we would hope that investment returns from investment markets will be somewhere between 2 to 5% over inflation. If it's not that high in the next 10 years, don't lose heart because eventually it will come good. I think that's really sensible advice. Thank you. Um, I'm afraid that's, that's all we've got time for this time around, but we'll be back with um, more detail on lots of topics from investing in shares to investing in funds and sustainable investing and investing overseas. So please do keep tuning in in the coming weeks. Thank you very much, Jason and Jeremy, for your time. That was really interesting. Thank you.